Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. First one of 2022. If I had maybe started this a month later, it would have all fitted in perfectly. Episode 22, 2022, alas, passed me. Maybe I've made a mistake there. But I wasn't thinking that far ahead. And I said a month ago that I would change the way I would think about the numbering. So a fact about the number 23. And joining me as always, before we get to this fact, Rodrigo Cockting, how are you? I'm doing well. I, I'm refreshed and ready for 2022. Well, get ready for this exciting 23 fact. So according to Wikipedia, there's a whole range of facts about the number 23, many of which went right over my head. So I've got with a fairly simple one. So 23 is a prime number. Okay, That could be a fact in itself, but we've gone a step beyond. So if you were to add up the first, 20, the first uh, prime numbers all the way up to 23, it's 874, which is then divisible by the number 23, a property shared by few other numbers. So, Wow. There you go. That's, that's fascinating. I guess, does two also? Oh, no, because one plus two would be three, so not even yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's fascinating. I don't know who spent the time figuring that one out. I have a 23, I guess, related question for you. Have you oh, heard gosh. of 23 and Me? Uh, yes, the, the, they're like DNA a, testing yeah, the DNA company. Like ancestry, right? Yes, exactly. So if you did that, what do you think your, uh, your ancestry would reveal or like your, your results would show? Oh, it probably something incredibly dull. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like, so the like one region, of the white. one region for, for, since forever. Yeah, I did yeah. it, uh, a couple, a year and a half ago, maybe. And I wasn't surprised. It was exactly what I thought it would be. Um, a lot of like indigenous roots in South mm. America, some Spanish, through colonization, I guess, and then Chinese, which my oh. great, which my grandfather was Chinese. That's not a surprise. Yeah, no, it'll be English from southeast. Oh, English from the southeast. So, yep. Okay. And it's funny because I I look exactly like my brother is three years older than me, but um, everybody thinks we're twins. And um, as I was doing this test, I was like, what if this reveals I'm adopted? You know, not that I would be bothered or anything. Like, I, I had a very good dad, but I was just wondering, like, what would that mean? Like, what type of conversations would you have to have? And I'm like, well, this is also, like, a ridiculous premise because how would I be adopted and have the exact same face as my b- biological brother? Who, well, again, we also kind of look exactly like our grandparents. So, uh, I, I mean, like, the proof was already in the pudding and it, it didn't turn out to be true. But I did wonder, like, what would what would how would I approach that? It was, fasc- it was a lot of fascinating, uh, like, a thought exercise while I was waiting for the results. I remember when I was at the uh, sixth form, so UK college, I guess late high school mm-hmm. for the people across the across the uh, Pacific, uh, there was this rumour going, so we did this experiment about blood tests, right? And it was like, oh, do this and then find out what your blood type was. And then there was this rumour that went around that like a few years prior, someone found out their blood group and it wasn't either of their parents' blood groups. And so then they inadvertently realized that they weren't actually related to the people they thought they were parents. Whether that right. was true or not, unknown. I, but, uh... I think there is some degree of truthness to the possibility of that story. But then I'm just wondering, like, is there, because isn't it like two 
the oh no it's like the rh is the other thing right i was gonna say like is there not like a recessive possibility between like parents and children that you know you don't have exactly your parents but maybe that's not true either i don't know either you should not be handing out fake news (laughs) on science but on a a podcast called phd reads yeah exactly i read about (laughs) microbiology that's it nothing else occasionally maybe the odd paper about covid but even that is a Mm -hmm. bit of a push these days but i can tell you that truthfully, that you can follow the show on Twitter at PhD Reads. That is a true fact that uh, that you can go and do right now, and you can like it, you can share it, you subscribe it, you can rate it, or whatever your podcast listening platform does. You can do whatever you have to do. I think mine is like a thumbs up, thumbs down system. So very fifty-fifty binary there. Mm-hmm. Before we get to the the reading, it's of course another month, and that's another month of MCU roundup. Uh, there's been quite a lot of MCU, so we'll start with we'll start small, even though it was quite big. Hawkeye, what did you think of the six episodes that made up Disney Plus's Hawkeye season one? It's funny because for most Marvel projects, I always feel like there is uh, some some fat that can be trimmed. You mm. know, it feels like, and for this one, I felt that the ending almost felt rushed. Yes, you know, like we were kind of teased about. Uh, I guess, spoiler alert for oh, yes. people that have not seen it, this will cover all the, the, the details of Hawkeye, um, that we were teased that Kingpin was going to be in it, and he was, but the resolution for a lot of these plot points were so fast mm-hmm. that I would say that the ending fell a little bit short of the standard that the other five episodes had set. But overall, I would say Hawkeye was one of their better shows, one of the better shows that has come out on Disney Plus for me. I think a big part of that was that it didn't take itself as seriously as some of the other shows yes. did. Now, I think WandaVision also towards the end did take itself fairly seriously, but was a little bit better on delivering an interesting premise to take seriously mm-hmm. than perhaps something like, um, uh, what was the other one that, what was the third one? Loki, Lo- Loki. and Loki Falcon was, and Winter Soldier was the and other Falcon one. and Winter Soldier. Like, I, and I didn't dislike them. I enjoyed both of them. But I do think that maybe this one and taking it a little bit more casual and kind of setting the sta- like your expectations there was able to land closer to where it had promised to be by the end. Um, I think the- Haley Steinfeld, who's the young Hawkeye, is promising, and I'm really excited for her. I do think this is maybe a current call for Jeremy Renner, who uh, is both as a character, like the the embodiment of a tired old man, but also as an actor starting to look like a tired old man. You know, it's like you can't keep on doing all these stunts yeah. and everything forever. So, I mean, it, it. I think it had a clear purpose. It. I think, you know, maybe we'll discuss it a little bit, but it contextually, Wilson Fisk and Charlie Cox showing up in another property, what does this mean for the Netflix uh, mm-hmm. content that was already created is where my mindset is currently running like a thousand kilometers an hour. But um, as a show, I think it was fun. It was a... a I, I, enjoy things that are set in Christmas. Um, you know, like, uh, it's funny because I'm, I'm not the, the biggest diehard as a Christmas movie person, but this is kind of of that vibe where it's like obviously not about Christmas, yeah. but it's set around Christmas. And so that's uh, it's always a nice thing to revisit when the holiday season comes every year. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I think I could have done with maybe one or two more episodes. I think we talked about it last month. like uh... Or one or two less plots, mm. you know, it's like one or the yeah. other because it, at the end it felt like Everything needs to be tied up. Yeah, right maybe now. I could have either done without the whole swordmaster thing. I mean, mm-hmm. as funny as that was, and to see him fighting thugs at the end with a sword. I mean, that was the payoff, but that did take up a lot of time in the in the progression yeah. of the show. Or, in the other hand, more episodes focused on on Black Widow, who just pops up on top of a yeah. roof, 
and then she hangs around for the rest of it, and then it's all wrapped up in, admittedly, mm-hmm. quite an emotional scene of the both of them on an ice skating rink. And, and I do think that Florence Pugh and Haley Steinfeld have great chemistry Absolutely. and were really good together. But I, I do agree that it's like, if that's the level of time that you can dedicate to that plot point, then maybe like separate it out or, you know, do do one less plot point, mm. something like Especially that. Especially because that was uh, the stinger for, for Black Widow. The post credit scene was, mm-hmm. you know, go after, go after Hawkeye. It's like, okay. I mean, yes, she did do that, but there is no... That could have been the, the, the premise of the show in itself. Admittedly, it would have been a lot less based on all of the Matt Fraction, David Arger stuff, but mm-hmm. alas, that could have been a thing in itself. I agree. So people, of course, because it's the internet, were very upset that Wilson Fisk was not exactly the same uh, Wilson Fisk as he was in Daredevil, in the fact that he was a bit more light-hearted, to which I can just say, well, it was on Disney+, Plus. what were you expecting? <laughs> And also, I mean, I don't know, like, what did they want him to crush Hawkeye's skull? Is that because it doesn't like he fights a lot of people, like he has a scene with Vera Farmiga, and then he basically has a scene with Haley Steinfeld, neither of which would really demonstrate, like even on Netflix, it's not like he was going to crush Charlie Cook's skull, right, because he's the main character. So I don't know. I mean, I did see some stuff about to how he seemed stronger. Yes. um, Then, and it's like, what, like, how are you measuring this? I, I do understand that, like maybe it is true but it's like it's you're kind of splitting hairs here because he did not seem like the regular strength of a man in netflix he seems slightly above average and in this one he's clearly above average but not to the point where he looks like the hulk either right so i mean i don't know could he bench press like 300 and now he can do 500 maybe uh but like who out here is determining this scientifically i i'm not bothered at all i'm happy at the possibility like the best part of of Kingpin for me and the Netflix show was Vincent D'Onofrio acting like a yep. monster, like the 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 anger and the cruelty carried in every syllable of the words that he was saying. Like that is where I think uh, the Kingpin came to life to me, and I'm I'm very confident as it's the absolute same actor that he will be able to to carry that going yep. forward. And I'm 100 percent certain that they, he will be going forward because. There's no way they they're gonna bring him back and then kill him off screen and then have a, another Disney Plus show based on a character that he was highly involved with and he'll never show up again. And also for for PhD read reads listeners, um, that is a plot point straight from the Bendis book. Echo grabs a gun and shoots Kingpin and leaves him blind. So this is a, and we have an Echo miniseries coming up. So um, this is pulled straight from the Bendis run so far. If he can survive it there, he can survive it on uh, mm-hmm. Disney Plus and I think it'd be good to see him see him blind yeah. and speaking of blind people it was touched on earlier Charlie Cox is back uh, in a scene that was not how I expected it to go in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home he's just there no magic portals no parallel universes he's just there at the kitchen table being Daredevil how did you feel about that? <laughs> Oh, incredibly happy. I had, um, I, I listened to this podcast called X-Ray Vision by uh, Jason Concepcion. He pointed out, and then I've been a fan of this theory, that he had to be an in-universe character that already existed because he's a lawyer. And I don't think that if you come from a different universe, your 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 bar, you will be able to immediately be passing the bar and everything automatically, right? You would have to do all that. So for his law degree to work in New York, he has to be like your in-universe um daredevil and so i i think i i'm happy where that landed i've said this before but i do think and it's funny because i feel this way about andrew garfield too where they do um 
I, I think Andrew Garfield was a good Spider-Man. I think his movies were not good yep. Spider-Man movies, but I think he was a good Spider-Man. And I, I, more importantly than that, perhaps, is that he was one of these actors that absolutely had a passion for the character that they were playing, were incredibly disheartened when their time came to an end. That is true of Andrew Garfield, and it's also true of Charlie Cox. And so this movie was like the, the two-in-one, or I guess three-in-one if you throw in Toby, that brought these people back and allowed them to, I mean, A, hopefully get some catharsis about the abrupt end that their characters came to, but also be open a door to maybe potential future stories. Um, I, I, I think that's a given though for daredevil. I, I don't think that it's a coincidence that the Wednesday uh, of that week, uh, K- mm-hmm. Kingpin came back in Hawkeye. And then the Thursday of that week, daredevil came back in Spider-Man, like the, the, the 3d chess that Kevin Feige is playing with these pieces is a, uh, I don't know, it's like mind-blowing. And, you know, the next move, big Marvel movie that we have coming up is mm-hmm. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And, I mean, if this is what we saw from Spider-Man, I can't even imagine what we're going to see in 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 Doctor Strange. Okay. Bring back Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Colleen Wayne. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if they would be bold enough to bring in, like, you know, like other Disney mm-hmm. universe. You know what I mean? Like, get, get it in, in crazy like um, bringing other characters that are not even Marvel related, but I, not that I want that, but I'm just saying like, you know, at this point, nothing would surprise me from, from Kevin Feige and the amount of planning that he's oh, done. Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes can come back as Blade and he can have a chat with new Blade. You know what I would absolutely love? There is an, a horrible, horrible, horrible Fantastic Four movie I, and mind you, the other the other two like relaunches that they had were not good either. Like the mm-hmm. Jessica Alba or the Kate Mara. But there's another one, an older one that they made kind of quickly just so they didn't lose the rights and it was never like promoted or anything. And it's just like terrible. But I would love if they brought a character from that Fantastic Four. Even if it's just like to kill them off immediately or something, but just it would be so like funny and amusing and like what a what a rich deep Easter egg to throw in if they are bringing in characters. Fantastic Four, they got to be out there somewhere. They'll be making their appearance soon enough. Yeah, a hundred percent. Back to Spider Man before we get too off track. I thought it was amazing. I I have the only complaint I have is that I'm not the biggest fan of the MCU's Peter Parker. But that was a problem I have have mm-hmm. had previously, so I can't really hold it against. Well, I can still. I'm saying it now. I still hold it against the film, but at least by the end, the fact that he's lost all of his riches and all his friends and all of that, you know, he is now the mm-hmm. the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man with no wealthy gadgets and no big financial backing or tech or anything. So he is that Spider-Man that I wanted, the closer to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, but seeing the other Spider-Man was great. The fact I was sat there waiting for them to talk about how Tobey Maguire doesn't have web shooters and it comes out of his wrists, and I was not disappointed there either. I was. Yeah. They talk about the Avengers. They talk about going to space. Just seeing them all together was great. I was expecting them to be in it longer. I was, you know, I was sat there because they mm-hmm. what sharp at least maybe less than half yeah. like in the last third i would say in mean, the way they come in is not particularly it, it that exciting but it, it makes sense mm-hmm. for what they're they're trying to do they even sort they even explain why electro isn't blue i mean they really were like right we've got all these problems to deal with let's 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 go yeah. and deal with them yeah yeah for sure and i think like uh it it was done with a care and respect for uh, previous franchises that is not often seen. Like sometimes, 
when uh you do like a relaunch it's almost like the the move is to kind of mock mm-hmm. the shortcomings of the previous attempt of this franchise right uh like to 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 kind of prove that you're taking it more seriously by joking about what the previous done one. And I think this one did the opposite in that it was able to like, there there's moments between Dr. Octavius and Tobey Maguire that are like throwing back to their movies. And then the, the moment, the big moment with Andrew Garfield and Zendaya, Zendaya, uh, MJ and being able to, to catch her and just like that, that fear as he's going down that it's going to happen again. And that like relief that it didn't happen again. And so it's, it was, I, I think it was handled with such respect and care for all this stuff. It, it suddenly recontextualized yeah. these old movies in a better way. And like I said, I'm, Andrew Garfield was someone that I don't think his movies are good. And it's funny because in, even in this movie, it's like you can tell that the main uh, villains and kind of like story is being driven by like yes. the Sam Raimi storytelling mm-hmm. that was like a lot stronger. Like Dr. Octavius, um, Willem Dafoe uh, as uh, Osborne. Like obviously these are, are the stronger ones in the franchise that they can pull up pull from and you know like the the lizard and and electro are are less so i would say uh, important to the main main plot points and i think that's kind of a product of the movies were really not uh, as great but um but i think like andrew garfield was a great spider-man and he was able to do that here and yeah i I, it was like it was it felt like an end in the same way that endgame felt like an end right and that's um endgame felt like that because you had already invested time into watching like these 20 something movies beforehand and for the spider-man too like you've seen uh, one movie give you three, one for one. I guess like a, a reboot give you three movies, and then Andrew get two, and then you start again with Tom Holland, and it's like okay, well, what is the point of me watching like these nine movies that are basically telling me the same story? And all of a sudden, this one kind of wraps it all together nicely. I I mean, I do think to your point, there was always a lot of questions about like is 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 this Peter Parker like the co- equivalent to the comic book Peter Parker because he does start off yeah. kind of like in the Civil War era already right with like giving being given a suit by um by tony stark and kind of facing the consequences of the, the secret identity in which case in the first movies he already still had it and so i i do i do see that i do think like my thing about um tom holland though is that i i feel like he always had you know peter parker is as a character you would think he could be annoying because he jokes non-stop and you know like it's kind of mm-hmm. woe is me all the time but he has some of the closest friendships with some of the other marvel characters that we've seen right like from you know Iceman, firestar yeah. like the human torch daredevil these are all people that are friendly with peter parker and because it's just he has like this natural kindness and charm that i do think that tom holland was always able to bring to that role through the the screenwriting too but, I, you know, at the end of this movie, they kind of place him where I think most people wanted him to be, right? Like, to the back to basics. You know, like, if Tom Holland really is capturing the the Peter Parker charm, then maybe it's time that the, the Spider-Man side of it also be reflecting, like, that what people wanted. And that's kind of where it ended. And, you know, if there is no other Spider-Man movie, which I think is an impossibility at this point yes. after it's, like, breaking every box office record then it would be a beautiful place for it to stop because you could just continue tracing that line forward, right? That all your other um, Spider-Man stories that you have in your mind are starting off from this point where he is now where you want him to be. But, I mean, I think it's unlikely that there would be another. Yeah, there would I not think, be another Spider-Man movie. Or I think they say, I think recently they were like, oh, there's another trilogy in the works. He's like, okay, great. I don't think Tom Holland will be there for all three. I imagine... You know, Tom Holland, he's had his big arc now. I'd say this is the peak. 
and it's time for him to because he's even talked about it you know bringing in Miles Morales and that would make sense you know they're, they're definitely going down the Young Avengers route and so bringing Miles Morales into that would make perfect sense as well yeah and, uh, I mean they, they make that quip about I, I wonder Spider-Man was black yeah I, I wonder if um Tom Holland will mm. be in Into the Spider-Verse oh it could be. I mean, he really, really would just have to be a voice actor, yep. and they are technically both done by. The thing Sony. I could have done without. Well, there are a few. Well, they're all villain based. Did the Sandman and the Lizard really have to be in it? No. It's. It's interesting because I felt like they were in it only to give off a Sinister Six vibe, but yes, then they didn't have six villains anyway. They no. only had five. I guess six if you count Venom at the end, who wasn't really in the movie. Yeah, that was my next yeah. thing. Why? What? The clearly that whole thing was like. Well, now there's a symbiote in the MCU. Yeah. Because. I think that, that was the that point was... of all of that. Just to leave that little bit of a symbiote in case they ever need to do a story with that, then you can just pull from that line that you left. But, I mean, I'm I'm not specifically a Venom... Uh, not that I, I don't like the character that much uh, for starters, but I've also never seen the movie, so I don't have like a negative opinion of Tom Hardy's Ven- uh, Venom or a positive opinion. But I wasn't uh, necessarily clamoring for that. But I, I do think that they brought him in at the end just for for to be able to leave that piece of a symbiote there, so that in the future, if they want to do, uh, I mean, I don't even I haven't been keeping up with the Spider-Man franchises, but I do know that there's like some type of big Venom event, right? Like, weren't you reading? I guess the precursor to yeah. that. Or is it mm-hmm. after? I don't know. I don't know where. Um, I think that black god in black. I don't know what it's called. King in black. The king in black, right? Yeah, that's that's at the end. I don't know what Venom is up to now, mm-hmm. but I think that has sort of been the recent high point of, of Venom's superhero career. Uh, I also wasn't, to be, I suppose, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Green Goblin redesign. I'm quite a big fan of. I know people don't like it, but I very much like that Sam Raimi Green Goblin costume. Yes, the face doesn't move, and that is a problem with it. Whereas they break the mask almost immediately as to be like, right, we're moving on. Mm-hmm. We aren't having that. And I was hoping that they were going to introduce some sort of redesigned version of the mask. But nope, it's just some goggles and some some scarves. He keeps the, the bodysuit part. I mean, it wasn't bad. I just would have preferred how he looked before. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the other side of this one in a sense. Not that I think that this one was much of an improvement, but I did hate the Sam Raimi Green Goblin costume just because it reminded me of, like, Power Rangers a bit more than (laughs) Spider-Man. But I did enjoy, like, to me, and mind you, maybe I'm reading too much into this, like, when, you know, people overanalyze any written thing to to be, it's like, oh, this is clearly a metaphor and allegory for this. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I did feel like it was kind of bringing in a little bit of, like, the Harry Osborn and maybe even... uh, Peter DeHaan, like what's the other guy? Kind of uh, DeHaan, right? DeHaan, like kind of bringing them in, just like flavor-wise, even though they didn't really bring in the actors. And then I I, the green little hoodie. It did feel like if you had put in the original mask in with the green hoodie, like you are almost fully comic book accurate to do it. So Mm -hmm. it was like so close, but not close enough. But I don't, I don't have any particular warm feelings for that. I I do remember when I first saw it, I was like, this is weird, and I feel like I just never uh, kind of moved past that. And the last thing was, I wanted Green Goblin to stay. I was very much disappointed. I was like, oh, William Defoe, you're so good yeah. at being Norman Osborn. I was hoping, like, oh, they're going to find, he's going to fly off and somehow escape magic. No, mm. he, he ended up being being fixed, which I suppose fits with the overall yeah. theme of the film of fixing fixing the villains. And he was, as the killer of Aunt May, mm-hmm. the, the biggest villain of the bunch. 
Uh, so he's, I guess, had to be fixed, but... Uh, I thought you were calling Aunt May the biggest villain. Oh, well, I mean, it was all her fault, I suppose. I mean, she was like, oh, you got to fix these people, Peter. He just I mean, but it is kind of gruesome to think, like, if you're pulling... You I guess we don't know exactly where you're pulling them from, but imagine that you are pulling, like, Norman Osborn right from the point before he gets killed and then sending him back just to die. It seems like mm. almost like, why don't you just kill him here? You know, like what difference would it make? That is true. But then I was thinking at the end, do they go back to those exact points just without any powers? Cause then, especially for like Electro, he's there hanging above these like big electric pylons. And then what? He's just, Oh, I'm just, just a normal man. <laughs> falls <laughs> falls yeah. straight to the ground. But. That's true. Yeah. Best, best not to think, uh, mm-hmm. think like that. Or like, for example, Green Goblin, he got, gets skewered by his own uh, glider. So it would just healthy normal Osborn reappear at that wall and bang, glider in him anyway. Yeah. Also, Tobey Maguire aged pretty well. Yes, and I like too that he was an aged Peter Parker, as in like it's not like they're pretending it's like oh they're pulling him from the exact same moment. He kind of seemed to have a history that grew it, and he had like a his his uh he always throughout his franchise spoke with like this kind of calm and serenity that has translated very well into being like an older, more like wise and patient mm-hmm. Peter Parker to help out like these kind of more young temperamental ones that, that were hanging around. Yeah, I, I loved I loved his addition. I loved what he and Andrew brought to it and just in contrast to Tom Holland, like all three of them had very different takes on who Peter Parker was. And it's nice to see the old suits. I'm a yeah. big fan of those as well, especially that Sam Raimi suit. So there you go. It's not an MCU project for a while. I had a Google before we started. The next big thing is Batman in March. Yeah, but, uh, which is also exciting. Yes, very exciting. There was the I think that the, they showed the trailer before I saw mm-hmm. Spider Man. Do you have hopes? High hopes? Well, I mean, yes, I do. I, I think my favorite part of Batman has always been the detective side of things. And so when I saw this movie, I'm like, Ugh, I wish this was the long Halloween, but there's no mm-hmm. way that this could be because I guess in, to a certain extent, Chris Nolan already pulled the, the interesting stuff from the long Halloween for, for Two-Face for his movies. And then there recently was an animated part one and part two yeah. version of the long Halloween. So the, this is probably going to be something very different. But nonetheless, I am excited for uh, the detective uh, side of things with with batman yeah i would have quite liked to see hush but i think for hush to work you sort of have to establish a batman otherwise the big reveal that hush looks exactly like bruce wayne is sort of oh i've only just known this bruce wayne for an hour so i don't really care that this man looks the same i'm hoping that they stick with it though because i think to me one of the the most fun parts of hush is kind of going through the rogues gallery and you know punching your way through this mystery to find out like what the heck is happening and to do that i do think you need to set up a rogues gallery that you can then mm-hmm. pull in so yeah I, i'm hoping that they stick i'm hoping that this this continues but excitement for me at least yes, we so will far. see soon enough so it won't be mcu roundup in a couple of months it'll be DC, DC, I don't yep. even know. Is there a, is there a U that they're sharing? I don't, I think, don't so. think so. Maybe after Flash though. I think Flash is supposed to be Flashpoint, so maybe there's a a multiverse of madness happening. Yeah, I'm quite. I saw the trailer for that came out a while ago. It looked all right. I mean, mm-hmm. wasn't the biggest fan of Ezra Miller's Flash in in the others, but yeah, I'll watch it. 
more interesting to see how they bring in Michael Keaton's Batman. That's what more I care about than uh, I, I recently than the saw others. a video of because uh, I've seen his movies, but I forgot them. And there's a point where he reveals who he is, and to take off his cowl, he literally rips it off, like it's it's like this plasticky silicone material, mm-hmm. right? And so he rips it off in reality. I would imagine that then is supposed to translate into him doing that in that universe. And I'm like. That seems unlikely. That's how this man would have to take off his mask every time he came back from fighting crime. Like there's, there, he had to create a new one each time. That that can't be the the case. I so think, uh, yeah. I'm I'm excited for Michael Keenan to be able to get like a little bit of a better costume. Absolutely. If you think about it logically, he can't turn his head. So how he's fighting crime unless yeah. all crime is happening directly in front of his face? Yeah. People are just his... sucker punching him through his <laughs> peripheral vision. Ah. <sighs> Well, I have a lot of Batman to talk about. So, but before we get to that, you're up first. Bring us into 2022 with your choice for this month. Yeah, my choice for this month kind of is TV related and Ooh. it's going to be a bit of a long story. So, I don't know if people know this. We didn't talk about this. Maybe we did. Uh, a Why the Last Man show came out uh, last year, mm-hmm. came out and then got cancelled almost yep. in, in quick succession. Um, it had a lot of shortcomings. I don't think it was able to adapt Why the Last Man to the the modern age. Uh, I think if you go back and read Why the Last Man, you also find a lot of similar flaws to that. But then, um, at the end of the year and at the beginning of this year, there was a show called Station Eleven. I don't know if you had a chance to watch this. It's based on a book by a Canadian author. It's, um, about, uh, the world after a pandemic. And I know that kind of feels a little bit on the nose, uh, as we are in the middle of a pandemic. But, um, in particular, Station Eleven in particular is a story told from the point of view of hope, which is like a nice refreshing yeah. take on dystopia. But there are moments in the world after the flu, after the virus that happens in Station Eleven that reminded me a lot of how I felt reading Why the Last Man. Mm-hmm. And I think like spiritually, it was much closer to what Why the Last Man should have been than uh, what the show Why the Last Man ended up being. And so what I decided to do this month was actually go back and read Why the Last Man. Um, Why the Last Man was published uh, by Vertigo, which I think is kind of like the more creator-owned end of things on the DC side. It is uh, personal history. One of the main reasons that I became very, very interested in comic books as a storytelling form. Like I kind of started with uh, the Marvel Universe and you know, reading X-Men, but I jumped into X-Men during an era that is perhaps not uh, regarded as the best one. It's like Chuck Austin Mm -hmm. when, um, you know, uh, Archangel and Husk were having sex in the air in front of their parents. Like, it's a very weird, Uh, not great era. Yeah, but uh, after kind of just, uh, I guess, enjoying it mostly, but not being particularly challenged or surprised by comic books during like the, those this, these early Marvel eras, with the exception of maybe Daredevil that I became very attached to. Uh, Why the Last Man was the first book that I read that absolutely changed the way that I thought about comic books. I then went back and read stuff like Sandman or like uh, graphic novels that were uh, turning into movies around that era. I think like Persepolis and like all these other ones. Um, and so to me, I have like a very uh, warm feelings toward this. I didn't revisit it before watching the show. Um, and when I watched the show, I felt like there are things that just narratively don't fit anymore and needed to be kind of reassessed. Like even our concepts of gender right. in this day and age have changed, right? And so while I can understand that biologically there would be a distinction between XY mm-hmm. and XX for the, the reasonings of this virus, um, 
the the why the last man world in the comic book is set up in a place where you know the idea of trans representation of people that were biologically born xx but you know uh phenotypically rep uh, represent like an x y mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um they don't really exist in this world right. or very rarely right there's like an actor but anyways I, I so i revisited it and um that's kind of what i I'm, I'm gonna talk about today um if you haven't read why the last man it's written by brian k vaughn the art is handled by pia guerra who if you do not follow her on twitter posts a lot of daily cartoons often uh, it's been more so during the trump era but they were they were all very very pointed and political and they were absolutely great the inking is handled by jose marsan jr colorist pamela rambo and uh, letterer clem robbins again this is a series published by uh vertigo and if you do not know what why the last man is it is um in the summer of 2002 which just shows, shows you how kind of old it is at this point it's 20 years ago uh, a plague of an unknown origin destroyed every last sperm, fetus, and fully developed mammal with the Y chromosome, with the apparent exception of one young man and his male pet, a uh, somewhat annoying monkey named Ampersand. This gender side instantaneously exterminated 48% of the global population and approximately 2.9 billion men. That's the premise of the book. Mm -hmm. um, the first, the first uh, volume of this book deals with the immediate aftermath of setting up the world right. post this gender side, right? Like when you start off by seeing um, already kind of like the, the immediate trauma after that moment, but then and by the second page, you're reverting back to like half an hour before and kind of setting up some, where some of these main characters were mm -hmm. as this is about to happen. You know, Yorick is uh, an English major who can't seem to find a job because you know I, I it's always interesting when writers kind of uh make english majors like the unemployable people because i'm sure that they themselves are english yes, I'd imagine so. um yeah and and um he has a monkey he's getting paid to train this monkey it's a monkey named ampersand which again is one of the more annoying characters in the tv show actually this is like one of my main issues with tv yorick which is like after the first time that your monkey escapes, put a fucking like collar and, and leash on your monkey because it's like an impossibility that you're going to keep on living this life trying to chase after this monkey. Or just anyway. I mean, I haven't uh, read it or seen it. Ditch the monkey. I mean, is a monkey really monkey. helping you in this apocalyptic world that you find yourself in? Yeah. And so you have not read Why the Last No, Man. I haven't. Well, funnily enough, actually. So I was on Amazon like yesterday or two days ago. And volume mm. one was one pound. And I was like, well, now is the time. So I was like, I'll order it now. Interesting. So maybe I'm going to rearrange my narrative to be very high level about this and not be too specific because I don't want to ruin any major plot mm -hmm. points for you. I do think that it's still something very much worth reading. But I, I, I will talk a little bit about, especially the yeah. first volume, I guess, as it kind of gives you the general flavor of what is happening. We do get to meet some of the other characters. Um and again, this is the part where I don't know um, how it will be seen through a, just a, a solely today lens. You know, like back when, when this was happening, things were a little bit different. We had a different context. You know, um, th there's, a, there's a lot of characters that are part of like the Israeli army. And the reason why is because Israel, unlike most other countries, does put like their, uh, first of all, every, every I think, uh, person of from Israel, or I think even like some Jewish people from other countries, they go back to Israel to do one year yep. of military service. And both men and women are on the mm -hmm. field and have uh, roles and so on. And I think that's sometimes in contrast to other countries where, you know, the Canadian forces, for example, don't have the same amount of women mm -hmm. on the field as men. And so the idea that they're trying to show, or, or Brian Kivon was trying to show here, was not specifically, you know, like this kind of 
pro-Jewish, anti-Palestinian point of view, but rather just an artifact of like, if all the men disappeared, this would be one of the stronger armies because they are, they have such a space for Mm -hmm. women at, at this point. But um, the product of, of men disappearing that the, the characters end up um, existing in a, in, a, in a bigger place, I think. And so it's hard to divorce that of the con- current context of where we are geopolitically between Israel yes. and Palestine. And so those are some just thoughts that, you know, have or, for example, like right now, um, abortion rights in the U.S. are getting increasingly and increasingly mm-hmm. restricted. And there are some points about like Roe v. Wade or abortion or the idea of, you know, reproduction in the face of mm-hmm. a pandemic or like what does life mean? And all these questions are raised in a different context than the context that exists today. So it's just something interesting yeah. that I feel like I, as you read it, I wonder how you will land into some of these points. But uh, the short the short of it is that we keep on meeting these characters. We, we meet Agent 355, who's a main character throughout this book. She's uh, in a mission externally. And as she's about to kind of complete her mission, the woman that she is trying to rescue tells her that she can't uh, leave the country or take the amulet that she has around her neck because she was told by her father that if she ever did... Uh, take that 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 amulet out of the country that it would lead to a ca- uh, catastrophe at the same time um, we have dr man uh, an asian american woman that is currently in the process of giving birth to a clone it seems right. like um, a bit of an affront of nature and and, uh, and at the same time we find out some other plot points that maybe are giving you a hint of like what could be potential reasons for this mm-hmm. gender side that is about to happen in about 30 minutes and so that does happen and you kind of jump in after that already two months later you know to get it's uh you don't want to go through the boring like oh you know like people are starting to rot and so on you want at least to to jump into like some sense of direction of like how society is being set up two months later yorick is wandering around with a gas mask around his face to cover the fact that he is male he has a little uh, animal cage where he has ampersand inside and he meets a variety of characters that are kind of mostly there for exposition showing off that like, you know, like men died all across the world and now they, people get paid to collect their bodies and throw them into the incinerator at a stadium. Uh, politics is in disarray because again, most politicians in the US mm-hmm. were men. And so uh, the Democrats have gone from go- having a minority in the House and in the Senate to being a majority because more like women were a higher percentage of uh, those two parties. And so at some point, like the wives of uh, the Republican dead senators and, and, and representatives, they show up at the White House with like guns and arms ready to take their husband, late husband's spots at, at an enrolling government. And, you know, at this point, we also find out that just like, have you seen Battlestar Galactica? The, you know, like the, the 13th, 14th, or 15th person in command happens to be the one that just randomly gets yeah, to be the president like, um, now. Because everybody that show? Else. That Keith Sutherland show? Was it Designated Survivor? Where he's like the cleaner designated or whatever. Survivor, exactly. Yeah. And so they, mm-hmm. we have one of those situations. And so the woman, the, the woman who is now the president of the United States shows up and uh, kind of calms things down after two women end up dying because like these un- inexperienced women's uh, trying to take situations yeah. into their own hands with guns does not end well for anybody. Um, they, they decide that the plan is to send uh, Yorick to find Dr. Mann, who is an expert, expert geneticist and like the lead uh, thinking mind i guess in uh in cloning and you know like we know they don't know yet that you know dr man is so advanced in cloning that she's actually been uh she impregnated herself with a clone and so they send uh yorick and 355 across the country to go see if 
they can find her. At the same time, Yorick is desperately trying to head over to Australia as the, the gender side was happening. He had called his girlfriend, Beth, who was in Australia, and proposed to her. But uh, he thinks she said yes, but, you know, there was chaos happening in that moment and is not sure. So he, she, he wants to go see if she's okay and um, and be able to determine the answer uh, of his, his important question. He's overruled by the president of the United States and his mom, who happens to be one of these uh, uh, mm-hmm. congresswomen who uh, were on the Democrat side. Um, Yorick, by the way, is a name pulled from Shakespeare. I don't yeah. know if you know that, but I didn't know that before I read that. Uh, his sister, Hero, is also a name pulled from, from mm-hmm. a Shakespeare book. And so Hero and Yorick kind of become these two important characters in in this story, um, Hero, uh, a woman who is described as kind of not always being able to figure out the right path. And shortly before it, she was finally in a good place. She had a relationship that was right, you know, and, and then tragically stolen away from her by the, this pandemic is is, is uh, a lot more susceptible to the manipulation that happens by people that want to take over that power vacuum in 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 the future we're presented to these characters that refer to themselves as right. the Amazons who have an absolute complete disdain for men, for anything that men have done. They refer to men as rapists, like, and uh, they, they have strong feelings toward destroying anything that, uh, you know, the rapists uh, had a hand on. And uh, so it sets up a very interesting, interesting uh, dynamic between them because the hero falls kind of, closer to where they are and then trying to figure her way back out of that um the first few volumes unmanned sets up kind of like the the world where they are cycles include some some interesting perspective about uh some other communities i guess or or, uh, places that reacted to the disaster and how they were able to set up their their new lives um one small step in is has a, a really 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 good cliffhanger which is one of my favorite parts of why the last man how they were able to kind of keep the story going from a variety of points of view and then safe word is one of i think the most interesting um volumes it it uh safe word as it implies has a lot of like snm related content but it's for a very specific reason i think it once you read that volume you can go back and take a look at the other ones and it kind of helps you reevaluate some of how you feel towards yorick how you feel towards 355 355 how you feel towards some of these characters who are again giving a lot more depth than than you would expect as they're dealing with the pandemic. So I think overall, these four volumes were magnificent. I think it is what I'm going to continue reading uh, for a while, but I will be reading some other stuff too. So if you haven't read this one, then I think I'm going to kind of leave it there. I don't want to spoil anything for, for you because it is one of my favorite series. And I think it's very dependent on being able to see to hear about some of these moments or find out some of these moments as you read them. So I don't want to take them away from you, but overall uh, I'm, I think it, uh, a lot of the narrative elements of this book still really work. I do think that the conversations that we've had now today about gender, about, uh, you know, some of the other geopolitical contexts, even like the, the amount of relative progress that women, both trans and cis have made in their respective fields would mean that the world that is painted here is not it's like we it's almost like to bring back to marvel like we diverged already from this Mm -hmm. universe a little bit and so this this future is following that plot line which is no longer our plot line 
So in that way, some of it is relevant, some of it is maybe not as relevant, but definitely still worth the read. Um, it did remind me a lot about Pia Guerra and really missing her. I kind of hope that she does another creator-owned thing sometime soon. I know she was very vocal about Why the Last Man, and she felt that towards the end of it, uh, to the series, sorry, is what I'm referring to, towards the end of it, it really had hit its stride, and so she was really sad that it didn't able to wasn't able to continue. But I am hoping that maybe something um, else is coming up for her and that I can follow that too. And if you haven't checked out Station Eleven, I do think you should go out and watch it. It is one of my favorite shows that I've seen in a long, long time. And definitely, I mean, <laughs> it's been a short year so far. But as of 2022, my favorite year. And I think it's going to be... Other shows will have a hard time besting it. Not just because... Uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's my top show of the year just because it came out in the first 50 I won't years. lie. I keep seeing this Station Eleven. It shows up on my Twitter feed. And I thought it was like some sort of procedural about like a fire station or something like that and i was like how good can this there show is a station be about 19. firemen I was like, oh. there's a station 19 about firemen too which i think is like kind of like these both existing in in this real life that kind of throws people off but this one is not about uh firefighters it is uh about the the world well, see now i'm much more interested <laughs> yeah i was what a strange coincidence that it just happened to be there. One pound. It's like, well, it's not going to be any cheaper than this, is it? So now's the time. Would you recommend watching the show? Because it's on Disney Plus here. So I, you know, tick the little plus to one day watch it. But listen, if you if you have an infinite amount of time, I think it is still worth watching the show. I would say that it's mm-hmm. worth reading the book before watching the show because a lot of the moments are better delivered and a lot of the characters feel, um, I don't know, like there's a lot more likability. I think in in the comic books, but not, not by much, actually. One of my main, my main takeaways when I was watching the show is that Yorick was unlikable, and then I read the comic book, and I was like, he's kind of a likable here, too. But uh, as you go forward, yeah. a lot of it gets recontextualized and makes a lot more sense. Um, but uh, I do think that it's like if you... So if you have an infinite, infinite amount of time, I would suggest read, read the book first, then watch the show, and then watch Station Eleven to see what the show could have been. Uh, but if you don't, then I would say definitely at least read the book and watch Station Eleven. Like, why the last man can? I'll get back to you by New things. Year's Eve, twenty twenty two, and I will have finally had enough time to maybe do all three of those things. Yeah, because I will be filling a lot of my twenty twenty two with nineties Batman. Because last year I filled it with nineties Marvel, so it's only fair that I give their main <laughs> competitor a fair shake. Uh, and so strap yourself in. Because at least maybe six to eight months of this year, we'll be hearing about the same story as we begin the No Man's Land arc that took over the DC Batman line throughout the late 90s. This happened after Batman Contagion, in which Gotham was uh, rocked by, as you might have guessed, some sort of plague. Uh, And now... A plague-heavy episode. Yes, very much so. But that has passed. There's no longer a plague in Gotham. Uh, Now there is uh, tectonic issues. I had big plans over the Christmas break. I was going to read the Northern Lights trilogy. Uh, I was going to read a vast proportion of this uh, uh, No Man's Land story. I've read one of the Northern Lights trilogy, and I've read one of these... uh, And this first one is Batman Cataclysm. And this edition I have was published on June the 1st, 1999. Uh, And unlike event books these days, it's just one of those event books that takes over the entire line. So I haven't listed the creative team, but I am going to give you what it covers. And if you're 
that interested, you can go back and find the creative teams of the books at those times, and they are then involved in it. So it collects Batman 553 to 554, Detective Comics 719 to 721, Batman Shadow of the Bat 73 and 74, Nightwing 19 and 20, Catwoman 56, Robin 53, Batman Chronicles 12, Blackgate Isle of Men number 1, and Huntress and Spoiler Blunt Trauma number 1. So whilst there is an overarching narrative to this collection in that an earthquake strikes Gotham and people have to deal with it, it's very much more of like a compilation of let's check in with with Catwoman. How is she dealing with the earthquake? Oh, let's check in with, with Batman, etc. Uh, there's also a lot of like two-page stories that take place throughout this. So I have skipped most of those just because... Nothing of... Uh, it's quite long, and so we'll be here for hours if I was to explain panel by panel what happens in this in this uh, book. But some of them are pretty good. Some of them... One of them is, like, Ra's al Ghul. He's written a letter to Batman explaining, like, you know, you can defeat Mr. Freeze, you can defeat me and these physical villains, but now you have a threat that you can't deal with. Good luck with that. Or one is about Penguin trying to recruit people. Uh, I am going to mention one, only because it was very much a standout, but uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. So we kick things off with a lady that we don't know sat on a hill, and this lady's name is Jolene Relazo, and she is a seismologist, and all is well. She's talking to some kids. Uh, she's there reading these tectonic readings until she gets a reading of a, to quote, biblical shift in the tectonic plates, and this biblical shift is going to destroy Gotham, because it turns out that Gotham is actually underneath, uh, is built on top of a fault line, uh, even though that doesn't make any sense, and people are referring to the fact that earthquakes don't happen in Gotham. Well, it turns out they do now. And uh, so then, like the very next page, the earthquake happens. <laughs> There's no build-up here. The earthquake happens like almost immediately, and unfortunately, the epicenter of this earthquake is pretty much a mile away from Wayne Manor. And so Wayne Manor completely destroyed, the Batcave completely destroyed, Batman, Alfred, they're all in the building. So, oh no, has Batman survived? Well, we'll have to find out because a bit later, because we cut to Anarchy, very much a C-tier member of the Batman family, and Harvey Bullock, they're both in a shopping mall, sorting some no-name criminal that's done done some crimes and uh, they're about to both catch this this person separately and then this earthquake strikes and they have to form some uneasy alliance in order to both survive and help people that are, are trapped there. Barbara Gordon who is Oracle at this point still in a wheelchair uh, she lives in a uh, Bruce Wayne built home and these buildings built by Bruce Wayne are quake proof uh, because Bruce Wayne he had insider knowledge that Gotham was built on a bunch of tectonic plates. And uh, so her home is fine, but of course the surrounding area is absolutely uh, ruined. So she makes her way through the wreckage, uh, passing by some people whose lives have been ruined. There's a guy who's like trying to claw his dead wife out of a car and she doesn't even stop to help him because she's like, well, he won't listen. So off she goes. And she's making her way to GCPD to try and one, find her dad and two, help with the relief effort. I'm going to bring it up now. I've written it down later, but it doesn't really make any sense. So Bruce Wayne has built all these 
quake-proof buildings around Gotham, but he hasn't made his own home or the Batcave able to withstand an earthquake. They try and explain it away by saying, oh, there's, there's tunnels underneath Wayne Manor. It would never work. And then something about, oh, I'd have to get in outsider contractors to help me make uh, my own home earthquake-proof. But really, I think that's all just a plot device so they can destroy the Batcave. If Bruce Wayne really wanted to make Wayne Manor survive an earthquake, I'm sure he would work it out just fine. Yeah. But uh, before we find out what Barbara Gordon is up to, we move straight to Dick Grayson, who is Nightwing still, and he is in Bloodhaven. Bloodhaven, far enough away from Gotham to not be affected in any way by this earthquake. Uh, Dick is working in a bar, but he just runs out of this bar and uh, is like, well, there's an earthquake there. I need to go to Gotham and, and help out. Uh, and the safest way of him doing so is, is by boat. So he boats his way to, way to Gotham City and helps this bus that is trapped on the side of a bridge teetering off the edge helps save the people the bus falls in the river he ends up having to smash through the windscreen the classic like oh i hope you can swim and then they swim through the river everyone is saved and uh, that's good then cut back to alfred alfred has been crushed by the rubble but of course he is also still alive and as is batman uh bruce wayne was uh he fell he fell off the waterfall that just happens to be in, in uh, the Batcave. But luckily his cape got snagged on a rock and he was able to use uh, his uh, grappling hook to just swing himself back up. But then he's got a new problem. How can he save Alfred without causing further collapse? Well, of course, he uses that giant penny that is in the Batcave. He pushes, he rolls the penny forward, which helps prop up the uh, collapsing ceiling and then he's able to uh, to free uh, free Alfred. But of course, nowhere else in the Batcave is propped up by this giant penny, so how can they escape? Well, before we even find that out, we're back with Barbara, who is leading the relief effort. Uh, she's not really that interested in finding her dad currently. She's like, oh, we'll do it later. I'm sure he's fine. Uh, it's shown to us that he was, he's been pinned down by the bat signal, so he's in the building that Barbara Gordon is in, and yet somehow no one has noticed that the ceiling with the bat signal on it has caved in and uh, crushed a man. But uh, he'll be all right. So Bruce Wayne, he has found some scuba gear. And here he is then, he's just going to swim through the tunnels and uh, escape to the outside. Then double back, get Alfred, everyone will be okay. Alfred is very much against this because there's limited air. There's only one or two of these scuba tanks left. And an aftershock could happen at any moment and he'd be trapped down there forever. So Bruce decides to go swimming and of course an aftershock happens and uh, he becomes trapped down there. So yeah, this is where I wrote down how come Bruce has built all these quake proof buildings but hasn't managed to sort out his own home? Just so they can destroy the Batcave. That's that's why. Yeah. So before we can find out if Batman lives, uh, with the time to check in with Helena Bertinelli, a.k.a. the Huntress, uh, she is on the underground when the earthquake hits. And despite being shown that she's only wearing a red dress and an overcoat, this earthquake hits and then she's able to change into the entire Huntress getup. Cape, goggles, the mask with the, with the points. She must have had all of this on underneath this red dress rolled up somehow. Uh, but she does this and there happens to be a member of the mob that's on the train and this guy suddenly thinks oh I've actually been being stalked by the Huntress this whole time and so he starts shooting up the train some guy gets killed uh, so 
Helena has to sort of run away to protect the people uh, that are on the train. So this guy, he then takes the other passengers hostage and they attempt to find a way out of the tunnels. Helena follows a little bit behind. But eventually she makes her move and uh, to have a fight. And then this is when that aftershock that we saw uh, trap Batman underground under the water. Uh, this, is, this is Helena's experience there. And this tremor, it leaves the man trapped under some rubble. However, Helena is very much not like Batman. She's more like the original Red Hood in that she doesn't really care about life. So he's trapped under some rocks and so she just leaves him there. So back at Wayne Manor, there is some more art. Uh, Alfred experiences some more rumbling. He's like, oh no, not another aftershock. But no, we're introduced to Harold Allnut. Uh, this was a Batman character I was not familiar with. And there's clearly very much a reason for this. So uh, Harold is a mute hunchback dwarf that is the resident engineer of, of the Batcave. So he can't speak. Uh, he is a hunchback, but he's very good at fixing things. So it's really no surprise that uh, when uh, DC rebooted, they were like, hmm, maybe we can do without. We can do we without that. that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Harold is there. He's with Alfred. They're both in, in the Batcave together. Bruce is still underwater, but luckily he uh, finds a crack in the rock and is able to swim uh, to the surface and see what the earthquake has done to his beloved Gotham City. It's ruined it. So then it's off to uh, Selina Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman. Uh, so she is attempting to steal some powerful Wayne Tech binoculars that she will then use in another heist later in the week. But of course, the earthquake strikes. Now she is trapped in this building. And it's revealed to us that Catwoman happens to suffer from claustrophobia. So all she wants to do is, is get outside, uh, not help anybody. It doesn't really matter. They'll be OK. Because no one seems to suspect that it's an earthquake in this building. They all think a bomb has gone off and a policeman thinks that Selina Kyle is behind this bombing. Uh, so either he's not really up to date on the goings-on of Batman's rogues, but or I don't understand, but I don't think Catwoman is very much of a serial bomber. Eventually, they have come to an argument and Selina decides, OK, my claustrophobia is not that bad. I'll help this, this young girl. Uh, but unfortunately, this young girl has been skewered by a, like a metal rod, so, so she dies. And uh, Selina sort of like, I can't stay in here anymore. So she climbs outside the nearest window, expecting to see the rest of Gotham looking fine. Of, of course it's not. So then she heads back in and starts to help the survivors escape. Uh, and once she's done so, she then climbs up to the top of a high rise and uh, has a bit of a cry. So we've spent the first, this is like probably about the first 50% of, of, of this book. With the various heroes, in I suppose quotation marks, of of Gotham. So it's time to check in with the uh, other side of the giant penny, so to speak, uh, those incarcerated in Blackgate Prison. So Blackgate is an island, and so the earthquake hits, uh, strikes Gotham, and then a tsunami happens to hit Blackgate Prison. But this story is very much focused on a man named Jared Manx. And he is a man on death row, and is scheduled to be executed at midnight, uh, despite proclaiming his innocence for these murders he's said to have committed uh, his entire time. Throughout his trial, throughout his incarceration, he's continued to say he is innocent. However, he's still uh, said, uh, scheduled to be executed. So his lawyer and a, a nun come to visit him. Sort of, The, the lawyer is there to apologise. You know, She's done everything that she could, but sometimes that's how the law system works. It doesn't go the way you want. And the nun is there just to sort of give him his last rites. And he's not particularly pleased with this. But then, of course, this tsunami hits 
and uh, the building is flooded with water. His cell breaks and he's able to swim to uh, safety. But being the good man that he is, he swims and uh, opens all of the cells because he doesn't want anyone, no matter how awful they are, to uh, to drown. Uh, there are some pretty awful people in, in Blackgate at the time. So uh, importantly for, for the story, we've got KG Beast and uh, the Clue Master, uh, Stephanie Brown's dad. Stephanie Brown being spoiler. So KG Beast, he starts running amok and uh, is attacking pretty much everybody, the, the security guards, fellow criminals. KG Beast is very angry that he is there during all of this, and so everyone feels his uh, wrath. Of course, Batman is now topside and is able to get signals. He's like, oh, there's a prisoner's escaping from Blackgate. I'll go there first. Uh, and so so he makes his way, way to Blackgate. He helps... Uh, Get the uh, helps the guards take back control. Some of the criminals do escape, and we will touch back in with those a bit later. But Jared himself, after having an, yet another fight with KG Beast, ends up holding up some rubble so that Batman can save uh, both the nun and the lawyer. But they're like they don't want to leave him there, uh, and so Jared tells them that he lied in that he did commit the murders uh, and. Uh, yeah, he was never innocent uh, to begin with. So then they leave and Jad gets crushed by, by a rock. And so it ends with, with the, this like a single panel of the nun. And she's there thinking, yes, he did lie. But when did he lie? Did he lie when he was telling us that he was innocent or when he was guilty? And that's just how that story ends. I hadn't Googled to see if Jared Manx ever comes up again. No. So we'll never know. And that's, to be fair, it's a pretty good ending for something something like this. Then there's a bit of time issues. So throughout this entire thing, there's been panels indicating what time it is and when the, the various earthquakes and tremors and aftershocks all hit Gotham. So supposedly, uh, Jared Manx was scheduled to die at midnight and then he ends up getting crushed by a rock at midnight. So therefore, Batman is on Blackgate at midnight. And yet the next book, Batman is uh, back in Gotham and it's about half past ten. So, there's, clearly, when you're running a, 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 a you know a, a series wide event, yeah, yeah <laughs> there's going to be things that fall through the cracks. Like, where's Batman when? Kevin Feige, he wasn't around to run uh, six hundred things at once. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, there are, but that doesn't really have any impact on the story. It just made me chuckle a bit because at first I thought I'd made some sort of mistake, and I was like, oh, oh no, just. Two hours. He went back in time two hours to help save more people, I presume. So Batman is back in Gotham and Tim Drake, who is currently Robin, uh, he was in Europe at the time. So everyone presumes that he is safe, but he was flying back and then this earthquake happened. So then he decides he'll help out uh, as well. So, of course, Bruce is trying to save as many people as he can, but, of course, quickly realises that this is not the sort of thing he can do by himself. You know, he's not fighting criminals He's fighting the Earth. So he goes to the Penguin because he sees members of the Penguin's gang looting. And so he's like, well, I promise if you help me help Gotham, I won't make your life a living hell for the rest of your life. And uh, so the Penguin agrees to that deal. And uh, his his goons then go out and start digging people out of, out of the rubble and, and such, uh, not looting. This is when one of those short stories takes place. Uh, and it, you never see the penguin, it's just his legs and his cane, and he's walking along through the rubble, asking people what they do for a living, and then depending on the answers they give him, he'll either help them out, 
or continue walking. I'm sure that's not exactly what Batman had in mind uh, when he asked for his help, but better than nothing, uh, I, I suppose. Then some really weird things start happening that I do not understand. So I read it, then I went through it to write my notes, and I still don't get it. So we check in with Dr. Relazo, the seismologist, and she's been kidnapped by some mobsters. Uh, and it turns out that these fellows, they're working for this new enemy, the Quake Master, and he is claiming responsibility for the earthquake. At the same time, members of the Bat family are starting a group together, so both uh, Dick and Tim make their way to GCPD, where they meet Barbara, uh, and they start to coordinate together. But importantly, no one has heard from Batman. And that's because Batman is off doing the most insane thing that I think I've ever read Batman to do. So we know Batman, he has the occasional disguise, matches Malone being probably the most famous. So an earthquake has struck Gotham City. People know who Batman is. People also know who Bruce Wayne is. And yet Bruce Wayne has come up with a new identity, Detective Hawk, to help with the relief effort as a policeman. I don't understand why he would do this. Why? Because all he does is run into a building, get some people out, and then run off again. He's like, couldn't you have done that Is as there, like, Batman? a moustache? Yep, he's got like a moustache. I didn't even realise it was Bruce Wayne. There's a bit where they suggest, where like Tim, Jim Gordon's there, because Harvey Bullock saved him from being crushed by the bat signal earlier on. Uh, and uh, he's like, oh, I don't think I've seen you working in the force. And then Detective Hawk is like, oh, I usually work the night shift. That went way over my head that was that was supposed to be Bruce Wayne. I only figured it out when a few pages later you see him take off the, the Detective Hawk disguise. Why? How much spare time have you got to be like, well, there's an earthquake going on, but I'm going to dress up as a policeman just for a little bit. That'll be fun. No wonder members of the Bat family can't get hold of him. He's he's clearly a rock fell on him somewhere and he's he's lost his mind. Uh, so whilst Bruce Wayne is off being Detective Hawk, uh, Tim and Dick, they go back to the ruins of the Batcave and they discuss the fact that this could be the end of Batman and their superhero heroics because the Batcave is completely destroyed. Wayne Manor is destroyed. And you know, if they were to get people in to rebuild Wayne Manor, they're going to find the Batcave and so they wouldn't have to, Bruce had to reveal his identity. Maybe that's why Detective Hawk is there. He's like, well, if I can't be Batman anymore, I'll be this other guy. <laughs> uh, so the Clue Master is then revealed that he is holding the city to ransom. And that if he doesn't get $100 million, he's going to set off an even bigger earthquake with this earthquake machine that, that he says he has. So then next up comes one of these short stories, Trapped by Chris Renard with art by Alex Maleve, uh, colours by Jason Wright and letters by Clem Robbins. So I want to call this one out into it because it is my favourite thing in this entire Batman Cataclysm collection. What what year would you say this came out? 1998. Because I, f- I feel like I would love to see what Alex Maleve's art from that time mm-hmm. looked like. I'll check that out. Hang on, let me, I've probably got it right here next to me. Here we go. It looks like this. So less painted, yes. but still pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Very wow, di- very great. different from the... As Alex maybe doesn't show up mm-hmm. on any of the other 
uh, bits of book in here. But so it's very different. It stands out for both in terms of art and what actually happens. So this focuses on Robin, and he is there saving people. He's he's got this microphone that he can help you know detect sound in the ground. He's like, oh, I hear some people. Let's dig here, get people. Uh, we then see this unnamed man who is trapped upside down in the rubble. And he can hear people above him. And then Robin hears some, some sound. He's like, well, okay, so there are people here. And so Robin and some fellow Gothamites, they start digging. And the man trapped down underneath, he's like, great, they're coming to save me. And then Robin pulls out this young girl. And he's like, great, we've, we've saved the person. And then they all leave. And the man is just still trapped down there. And the last uh, bit of speech is just, isn't anyone coming? And it's this man in half darkness. And that's the end of that. I was like, oof, that is some, uh, some more powerful stuff than I was expecting in uh, the uh, tonally stands out from just Batman pulling people out of, uh, of the rubble. And I think Alex Maleev's art very much plays with that here. The, the sort of less bright, pulpy colours, the more realistic depictions of what people look like. So I was very pleased when that that, uh, that appeared. Uh, so then we haven't heard about the Huntress for a while, so it's time to check in with her again. And she is inadvertently teamed up with Stephanie Brown, a.k.a. the spoiler, who was in a shopping mall when, when the quake struck. But this is a different shopping mall to the one that Harvey Bullock and Anarchy were in at the beginning. Lots of shopping malls in, in Gotham City. And uh, this shopping mall just happens to be the one that uh, the Blackgate escapees uh, decide to go to to get a change of clothes. Now, one of these scapees is, of course, the clue master, Stephanie Brown's dad. So uh, they go there. Stephanie Brown, the Huntress, they're already there. They're stopping some some looting, and then we get one of the classic uh, superhero ethical debates. The Huntress is happy to kill these criminals, whereas Stephanie Brown, very much a classic member of the Bat family, uh, very much dead against uh, physical, severe physical harm coming to these people. Uh, but this ragtag group of criminals, they show up, they get a change of clothes, they eat some ice cream, and then they uh, decide, well, there's no security, we can go rob this bank. That uh, is just a, a, across the way. So, of course, they go and rob this bank, and uh, then they end up running into Spoiler and the Huntress. Uh, the Spoiler then, of course, ends up helping her dad escape, even though she doesn't like her father, and that, you know, morally, she's a superhero, and he is the clue master, a... Z-tier Batman villain uh, you know, she doesn't want actual harm to come to him, especially some harm delivered by, by the Huntress and her, her crossbow uh, so she, so the, uh, the clue uh, the clue master escapes and uh, then Helena and uh, uh, Stephanie, they go off and help save some more people so Bruce, he's back to being Batman now he's had his time as uh, Detective Hawk he's like, I've had my fun being a policeman I'll go back to being Batman that I'm actually known for and he's on the hunt for uh, this Dr. Alazo so uh, with her knowledge of seismology they can figure out how to stop the Quake Master and his uh, earthquake machine however they can't find her and so it appears that perhaps this Quake Master is in fact uh, Dr. Alazo we know as a reader that that is, can't be the case because she didn't kidnap herself uh, and so Maybe it's another Bruce Wayne. Oh, I think the twist here is actually not what I was expecting. Uh, 
So the Quakemaster, he releases another tape of demands. However, this one is full of factual errors regarding earthquakes. And it's through this that Bruce is able to figure out that one, she's being held captive. And two, she's the one feeding him this earthquake information. So the Bat family and the GCPD are now all attempting to figure out who the Quakemaster is. So they investigate what he says, where he came from, how he's, how he's filming these, uh, these videos, etc., uh, and eventually, Tim, Harvey Bullock, and Renee Montoya, they all figure it out. And uh, they figure out that there is no such thing as, as the Quakemaster. It's the ventriloquist, and the Quakemaster is just one of his puppets. Which was not what I was expecting at all. They're really, they got the clue masters in it, the ventriloquist in it. Like, perhaps, knowing, having seen the Fox show Gotham, and so I know that all the big hitters of the Batman rose, they're going to crop up when no man's land comes around. But they're like, why not? Now's the perfect time to trot out all of these people that really no one cares about. Like, oh, it's the ventriloquist. He was behind it all. And uh, there is no earthquake machine. It is just a, a, a natural earthquake that happened uh, in, in uh, Gotham City. And so uh, the ventriloquist, he's put a stop to. The puppets are smashed, etc. You know, he can't put up a fight. He's just an old guy. And uh, Bruce then goes to help save some trapped people. And Dick is off saving the mayor. Uh, because the Quake Master, in a quotation marks there, sent some of his goons to go get this $100 million. Um, and then they all stand on the Gotham skyline, ready to face whatever is to come next. And that is not No Man's Land yet. We're, we're still a long way off from that. It's Road to No Man's Land Part 1 is, 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 uh, is what's next. So, yeah, lots of 90s Batman to, uh, to cover. It's going to be a while. It is. But I still can't get over this... Detective Hawkley, I do not understand. <laughs> it doesn't look I like... I am excited. I hope he is brought into the Batman. <laughs> Maybe that's it, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, they're making that uh, GCPD show, so perhaps they'll, uh, you know, they're keeping it quiet that Robert Pattinson won't be in <laughs> that Pattinson show. Pattinson with a mustache, just casually. <laughs> oh, just ignore me. I'm here to check out the lights. Not even a full detective. <laughs> just, why couldn't he help people as Bruce Wayne? Bruce Wayne helps Maybe people. Maybe it is, it is too complex for us uh, regular people yeah. to understand. Maybe. Bruce Wayne is operating at 3D chess level. Yeah, it'll all become clear. As uh, the No Man's Land story pulls out, perhaps this detective hawk will play a crucial role in uh, saving uh, Gotham City. But you'll have to look forward to that in a month's time. Uh, between now and then, you can, as I said earlier, you can like, share, subscribe. You can follow the show on Twitter at PhD Reads. You can follow Layered Butter at Layered underscore Butter. And I hear things are getting spooky over there. It's a horror-themed January. Tell us more. Yes. Uh, yeah, we're having uh, Halloween in January. Um, no, we, we published this book. So uh, Layered Butter, in case people do not know, is a, an art magazine focused on movies and the alternative movie poster art that they inspire and generate. And so we put out uh, themed issues. We did five last year. And, you know, we, we make them available digitally, but then go to print once enough people have pre-ordered. And so of the five issues that we put out, three have gone to print fully and have been distributed. Uh, Modern Horror is the third issue that we put out, but the fourth one that's going to print because it took a little bit longer right. to fulfill enough pre-orders to be able to justify going to print. Um, 
so yeah, it's happening now in February. Like we're in the process of sending over the files and everything that needs to be done on the back end. Uh, fulfillment should be done in February, and then we'll start shipping them out. It's actually like a really, really, really good issue. Um, I think it's some of the other ones. Not that the articles aren't strong on this one, but I've had different favorite articles here and there. But I will say, art wise, this is definitely my favorite. I think some of the the art that they do for these modern horror movies is breathtaking. It's going to come with this mini print that focuses on some of the A twenty four recent successes. So like your 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 get uh, actually not get out. I was gonna say like the the lighthouse, mm-hmm. uh, Midsummer, uh, Hereditary, and the witch. the witch. They're all kind of focused on, on this little print that we're putting out that looks absolutely beautiful. I mean, I'm not promising anything, but it is looking. We're seeing a lot of interest, so maybe in the future it could be a full poster. We'll see. There you go. That's a reason to follow. Layered underscore butter on Twitter at layered butter on Instagram. No underscore. Correct. There. See, yeah, I'm getting good at this now. After what, twenty three months, finally getting into the into the swing. Listen, better late than never. There's no expiry date on these things. <laughs> That's really true. And you know, those people that have been listening for these twenty three months, you know, they'll be like, oh, finally, it's not it's not such a drag to get through. <sighs> so there you go. That was a fiercely shooting news episode twenty three. Uh, very. Uh, Apocalyptic themed, plague based. We had some plagues. We had some disaster. Yep. So natural uh, disaster. Yay! Well, happy twenty twenty two, everybody. <laughs> Great start of the year. We talked about Spider. We were happy. We were happy. It started off happy, and then once we actually talked about what the comics were about, maybe slightly more of a, a thematic downturn. But such is life. You know, art imitates life. So perhaps, you know, there's no earthquakes in Aberdeen, but there were no earthquakes in Gotham City before before 1998. So uh, perhaps yeah. now's the time. Just wait till the, what is the name? The Lot of Ventriloquist. Yeah, the Quake Master. The Quake Master. So I was like, oh, I've never heard of this Batman villain before. Let me, I was like, oh, I wonder what happens to him. Oh, it's just, it's just a puppet man. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I mean, that was, you know, that wasn't a twist I was expecting. I will say that. Well, At least it go. wasn't someone like, oh... It was the Joker. He set, set off a bomb or something. Yeah, so I look forward to seeing where No Man's Land takes me. Hopefully, I will say, so far, I'm much more enjoying 1990s uh, DC's output than I did the 1990s X-Men. So, what a good start. But there's a lot more of this, so plenty of time for it to, uh, to uh, take it down. <laughs> to get tedious. Yes, exactly. So there you go. You can look forward to that. You can look forward to whatever more book of higher quality Rodrigo brings in the future. Uh, yeah. Bye. Bye.